Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for um, even things like rain today, and the reminder that they are to us of how you care for your creation and how much um, more you love us and you care for us and you have provided for us a Savior that we might be able to enjoy a relationship with you in this life, that we might have hope of eternity spent with you, and we're thankful for that. Pray that you would help us in this time tonight to glorify you as we think through specifically family worship and what that should look like in the home. Uh, I pray that you would give us the right motivations, the right desires that we might uh, serve our families well, raise our kids according to your truth intentionally, that our hope is that one day they would come to saving faith in Christ and that they would walk with you in this life. Um, We know that we trust you with that, but there's things that we can do in this life to be faithful, to instill in them the truths of Scripture. So we pray that you would help us in this time tonight. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so as you guys went through this past week, evaluating ways that you may provoke your kids to anger or ways that you're maybe encouraged that you're not as sinful as you thought you were. What are you guys' thoughts? Things you were challenged with, things you were encouraged by. Sure. That's definitely something I, I struggle with too. Yeah. <laughs> so have you been aware of that or just this week? I've been made aware of it. By the Holy Spirit. Brought up again. One of the things that we talked through, and honestly, still haven't figured it all the way out yet, but just how schedules are really helpful for little kids. And when they're off their schedules, and then sin comes out as a result of maybe not as a result of them being off their schedule, but definitely the schedules is aiding, or the lack of schedules aiding in the sin. Just how to approach that. Do you? Because it, it could be a form of provoking, I guess, uh, but at the same time, like they're still sinning. So, how to navigate that and when to navigate that, and being gracious versus being consistent. You know what I mean? Yeah. You got any insight, pointers, help? Well, I, I definitely think schedules and routines are helpful for kids, but I think there's a fine line of following it so strictly that your home is a child-centered home. Does that make sense? So I think you guys need to be flexible to be able to do things outside of the normal routine of your family and, and then be able to call sin what it is, 
right? It's sin, and it needs to be addressed. We can't blame their sin on other things. You need to help them understand, and it's hard at, at younger ages, but you need to help them understand that the fact that you're not going to bed at 8.30 instead of 9 is not the reason why you're sinning. Your heart is sinful, you know, and just address it. But I think when you can stick to schedules, it's a good thing. Like, that's helpful for your kids. But if it's keeping you from fellowship with other people in the church or, you know, whatever it might be, time with family, then you need to be able to to be flexible and maybe give them a longer nap during the day or something to kind of make up for that late night or whatever. Julie was always really good at finding a good balance. Yeah. Do you have thoughts? (laughs) She said what I said was good. Others? It's a good reminder to look for the positive things your kids do. Sometimes you can spend the whole day saying, stop it. And there's not a lot of good sometimes to look for. Yeah. But find it anyway. And just seeing the difference in your kids when you can do that or watching their composition when you're stop, stop, stop it. And then you find that one thing and it's like, I can do it. Yeah. Just kind of figuring that out with each kid that they need. Yeah. yeah, we need encouragement, even at young ages. We really looked at our um, oops, sorry. Um, I'm a very angry person when, when I discipline, and I'm working on like that. Not necessarily towards my kids, but I'm like, find your ground for a month. Because that's kind of how my parents were. Yeah. And so, like, the other day, Haley did something. And I was like, you're grounded for a month. I'm sorry. And then, like, Bryce and I talked about it later. And I was like, okay, I'm sorry, Haley. I overreacted. You're grounded for a week. Like, this is... So it's like both of us have been holding each other accountable for um, like discipline. And I can't think of the word. My mind. Like, having the... Like, explaining to them, please help me. <laughs> Please help me. <laughs> but like having expectations or explaining it to them, we have the accountability now of like, because sometimes I'll say something sarcastic that we don't really think is that sarcastic, but to other people it sounds sarcastic. Yeah. Just like for our kids, if they say something to me, sometimes they don't know what they're saying is disrespectful. And so I'll be like, hey, would you like to try that again? And give them the chance to do that. And so, and we had a a reunion this weekend, and I have a nephew that's very, he comes from a very bad home. And so, my sister was like, stop doing what you're doing, stop doing what you're doing. And he was just taking like the dirt clusters and throwing them at like the trees and then a couple of the windows. And he was like, but I don't understand, it's just dirt. Like it's not gonna do anything bad. And so I went out there and I was like, hey, there could be rocks in there. You know, different things like explaining. Yeah. We both talked about it. it was like it's childishness versus the you know the sinfulness, mm-hmm. and so we kind of. It's nice to have an accountability. Yeah, for sure. 
it's a blessing when you're on the same team. Yeah. yeah, that's good. I tend to lay the hammer down pretty hard with discipline too. The other day, Eden was, I asked Eden to go practice her piano. She was crocheting or something on the chair and she didn't get up and do it. And after five minutes or so, I'm like, you need to go practice your piano. And since she didn't, I said, you have to do it twice as long as you normally would. So that was 30 minutes total. Well, immediately she starts weeping uncontrollably. And I said, go downstairs and practice your piano. And she's just weeping. She goes down to practice her piano. She's just sobbing at the piano. I'm like, all right, you got 15 more. And she just starts weeping. (laughs) Julie's like, I don't think this is the best form of discipline. (laughs) So I went down and I told her she had to go sit on her bed until she stopped crying. And then she had 30 minutes after that. So there's even today, there's still times Julie has to help me scale it back a bit. (laughs) It's usually one or the other. Yeah, there's one personality that likes to come down hard. So I say that to encourage you. After 18 years of parenting, I still fail at times. Other thoughts? I think I didn't think of provoking my child as the ways that you described. And like, affection is not my... I get overtouched, touched out, but my daughter is all touching all the time. So, but I didn't think about that. Like when I'm like denying her that, that I'm provoking her. Yeah. And so just thinking about those things through and then just like overprotecting. Yeah. That you need to let them. That's a pretty natural tendency for most parents. Yeah. That's good. I can remember one of the struggles for us was letting our kids climb trees. Like when I was a kid, we would climb to the tops of trees all the time. And we were out in the, the pasture. My parents had no idea what we were doing. And I, I never wanted my kids to climb trees. because I'm just picturing them falling from the very top and breaking every bone in their body. And, you know, there's ways like that that we tend to overprotect and we don't let kids be kids. They need to learn those things, and sometimes it means falling out of a tree and breaking an arm and a trip to the emergency room, you know? Anyone else? All right. Well, thanks for sharing. I appreciate you guys opening up about your struggles and your encouragements. It's good for us to hear from one another. So I want you to turn to Joshua 24. This evening we're going to be talking about family worship in the home. I think this is an area that the Lord is continually refining me in. And I hope that this evening... It's encouraging for all of you to make this time a priority with your family in your house. I think this passage just kind of helps get our minds in the right place as we begin thinking about family worship. So Joshua 24, and we'll read verses 
14 through 31. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites, who lived in the land. Therefore we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you, and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in his own inheritance at Timnath-Sirah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. Just a couple of observations from these verses that I want us to notice as we begin this evening. First, Joshua did not make worship or service to the living God optional. You can see that in verse 14. He says, Now therefore, fear the Lord. <clears throat> this is a command from Joshua to the people of Israel. And second, Joshua enforces the service of God and families by his own example. In verse 15, he says, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua isn't expecting the families of Israel to do something that he is unwilling to do himself. He's leading by example. Joshua by this time is old and he's nearing the end of his life. And perhaps he's thinking about his family and the challenges that they'll face if they are to continue to pursue a relationship with their God after he's gone. <clears throat> These words were recorded thousands of years ago 
But Joshua and his family faced the same temptations and distractions that we face as families today. Temptations to pursue worldly idols and to allow the good things of life to distract us from the best thing. But Joshua spoke on behalf of his family and he said, we will serve the Lord. In verse 31, we see that one of God's blessings to Joshua because of his commitment to serving God in their home was the generation after him walking with the Lord and serving him. Verse 31, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. Every family has a God. Do you believe that? God created us to be worshipers of Him, but sin has caused us to pursue worship of other things, robbing from God what only He is deserving of. We worship individually, but we also worship as a family. So as you think about your family, what has your time What has your affection? What has your love? That is what you worship. For many, it may be things like sports, leisure, work, money, stuff. What are you worshiping as a family? Parents, every day, kids are leaving their parents' home And they're pursuing idols and selfish gain. They've grown up in a home that has been centered around them, their activities, their desires, their wants. May this not be true of our families. May we be found faithful to teach our children by example, the only one who is deserving of our time, of our affection, of our love, the only one who demands and is deserving of our worship. We must be worshiping our God together as a family. So, what is family worship? I found this definition and I thought it was clear, simple, and helpful. It's at the top of your notes. It's family worship is the regular use of scripture, song, and prayer by a family unit guided by the head of the household. So when we talk about worship this evening, this is what we're talking about. The regular use of scripture, song, and prayer by a family unit guided by the head of the household. So we're going to break it down into three main points, as you can see on your notes. And then at the end, we'll talk about some of the common excuses that people use for not doing family worship and also some motivations for why you should be committed to doing family worship. So we'll start with the who of family worship. I think this one should be obvious to us, but it's important for us to start here because our obedience to God should flow out of a correct understanding of who God is. When we have a right knowledge of God, we desire to obey Him. The theological foundations for the worship of our families is rooted in the very character and the being of God. The God we worship is Father, Son, and Spirit. He has always been, from eternity past, dwelling in relationship, fellowship, and unity. 
He created man and woman to enjoy these same things. And he has designed the family after his own character to enjoy these same things with the addition of worship of our Creator. Our family life faintly reflects the life of the Holy Trinity. Do we view our family that way? The love among the persons of the Trinity was so great from eternity past that the Father set in motion his plan of creating a people that would take on his image, who would have personalities that reflected his Son. And then by being conformed to the Son, these people would share in the blessed holiness and joy of the Trinity's family life. God created Adam in his likeness, and from Adam he created Eve. As the first of mankind, Adam and Eve enjoyed perfect, intimate fellowship with their creator, God. But we know that because of Adam's disobedience to God, sin entered the heart of man. The relationship between God and man would be forever changed. But we see in Genesis 3, God's promise and hope of the one who would come to reverse the curse of sin. The one who would defeat Satan and overcome death. The one who would bring salvation to man. Through Christ's perfect obedience to the law and his sacrifice for sin, God's holy wrath and perfect justice would be satisfied, making the way for sinners like you and me to be saved. Jesus' perfect life and atoning death would make it possible for poor, wretched sinners to be restored to their true purpose, to glorify, worship, and enjoy fellowship with the triune God. If you're saved then because of Christ and only through him are you able to worship God in a way that pleases him. We see all throughout scripture that God places the leadership of the home and the worship of the family on the father. Dads, we are to instruct our families in what family worship is and model for them who is deserving of our worship. God created us to be worshipers of him. He demands our worship. And he deserves our worship. So that's the who. God is deserving of our worship, both individually and as a family. Now the what of family worship. So our definition again, family worship is the regular use of scripture, song, and prayer by a family unit guided by the head of the household. So we see here three things that should be included in our family worship. Number one, daily instruction in the word of God. Number two, daily prayer before the throne of God. And number three, daily singing the praise of God. These are the three aspects of family worship that make up the what. We can state it simply in three words. Read, pray, and sing. So first read. This can simply be reading from the Bible. That's a good thing. Or it can be reading from a devotional book where the truth of Scripture is clearly taught. God must be worshipped by the daily reading, instruction, and application of his word. So read. And then ask one or two questions from what you read. Or make a couple of observations 
and help your family apply it to their lives for today. Second, pray. Pray together as a family every day. Fathers, husbands, are you praying with and for your wife and your children? And do they hear you pray for them? We commit daily sins against God that we should seek forgiveness for daily. We receive daily blessings from God that we should be thanking him for daily. We make daily decisions that we should be seeking his wisdom for daily. Your time in prayer as a family has to be more than just saying a quick prayer before the meal. Strive to teach your family what it looks like to communicate with your Heavenly Father and sweet fellowship through prayer. They need this from us. Third, sing. Sing together as a family. Is singing only something you do when you attend church services? Or do you sing songs of praise in your home with your family during the week? Paul says in Colossians 3.16 that as the word of God richly dwells within us, it produces singing. God's truth impacts our hearts in such a way that it produces songs, songs that teach and admonish, but that also express gratitude from our heart for what God has done. So these three aspects are what make up the what of family worship. We should direct family worship by way of reading, praying, and singing. Read, pray, sing. So men, lead your family in worship in your home and watch as God blesses your faithfulness. So now let's talk about implementing these three aspects of family worship in our homes. And this will fall under the how of family worship. And we'll kind of divide it into the the three aspects of read, pray, sing. So this falls under the reading, the reading time of family worship. It can be simple, but it should require some preparation on your part. So dads, number one, have a plan. Have a plan. This should be thought out and it should be intentional. And the point is, don't choose randomly each day something different to read. Have a plan and stick to it. Maybe you choose to read through a book of the Bible. Simply read one chapter a day and then move on to the next chapter. I think it's good for us to be getting both the Old and the New Testament. So read through one book in the Old Testament and then read through one book in the New Testament. Maybe you choose to read through a children's story Bible. I think if your kids are smaller, this is a great idea because it puts the Bible on their level. Oftentimes, these story Bibles are broken up into short stories. So read one story a day. Maybe during the Christmas season, we've done this in years past, you choose to change things up and you go through an Advent devotional together. I think it's good to change things up a bit. There's nothing wrong with that. But the important thing is have a plan. Know what you're going to do and be prepared to lead your family in worship. Number two, be plain in meaning. Be plain in meaning. 
And by this I mean help your family understand what the Bible is teaching. We should be able to explain gospel truths to our two-year-olds in a way that they understand it and can comprehend it. But we should also help our 16-year-old to understand the depths of theology and doctrine. Help your kids know how to observe and interpret the truths of Scripture in a way that they can understand it. Number three, be relevant in application. Be relevant in application. The Bible is not a dated book. It applies to us still today. Teach your kids that by relevant application to their everyday life. I'd say don't be afraid to use personal experiences from your own life, even your failures, to help your kids see how the truth applies to them in their everyday life. Be relevant in application. Number four, be pure in doctrine. Be pure in doctrine. In order for you to teach the Bible to your family and make relevant application of its truth to their lives, you yourself must be a student of the word. You should be studying it personally so that you understand its meaning. You should be sitting under the teaching of the word regularly in things like grace life and main service. You should be part of Bible studies with other men and other women. Know what the Word of God teaches so that you can help your kids understand it and live by it. Number five, be affectionate in manner. Be affectionate in manner. Model for them how to fear, delight in, and love the Lord. They should be convinced that you love your Savior by the way that you live out the little everyday moments of life. Your speech, your conduct, the way that you choose to spend your time, your commitment to the local church, your love for your spouse. And along with that, your children should know that you love them and that you are concerned for them spiritually. Be affectionate in manner. And number six, Require their attention. Require their attention. Don't allow your children to goof off during family worship and not pay attention. And maybe this needs to start with your example. I think things as simple as not having our phones sitting beside us teach our kids that this is an important time and a time for us to not be distracted by outside things. God is worthy of our attention. He requires our attention. So require attention and model for them what that looks like. So that's the how of reading together. Now the how of praying. The how of praying. Number one, I would say be short. Your prayer time doesn't have to be long. Three to five minutes I think especially when they're younger, shorter is better. Tedious prayers in this setting can oftentimes do more harm than good. I would say as a general rule, don't teach in your prayers. Teach while you're in the Word of God, and then pray with your prayers. Number two, be simple without being shallow. 
be simple without being shallow. I think it's helpful for our kids to have a general knowledge of the things that we're praying about. So if you're praying for a church member or a family member, make sure that they understand the need. And if it's not something that you can share with them, maybe you just pray about it together as husband and wife and pick more simple things to pray for with your children. And I'd say along with that, don't just recite rote prayers. Make your prayers personal. This is helpful for our kids that we model this for them. Number three, be natural. This may just be a pet peeve of mine, but don't talk different when you pray than you do in normal conversation. By that I mean don't use a high-pitched voice or speak monotone. Don't pray too loud or too soft. Don't pray too fast or too slow. Prayer is normal conversation with our Heavenly Father. Teach your kids that by being yourself in your prayers. Number four, be varied in your prayers. Be varied in your prayers. Don't pray the same thing every day. Don't become predictable with what you say. I learned this years ago as our kids were getting older and we were starting to let them pray at bedtime. I noticed that nearly every one of them would end their prayer with, and keep your hands on our house as we sleep and keep us safe through the night. Amen. And why? It's because that's what I said to end my prayers every night. So I quit doing it. To this day, Eden still says that at the end of her prayers. But I think it just taught me, don't become predictable. It's good for us to change how we pray. Use variety. But I do think it's also good for us to have main focuses in our prayers. We should acknowledge who God is, highlighting his attributes and his character. We should confess our sin to him, both individually and on behalf of our family. We should recognize our daily need for his mercy concerning the needs of our family. And we should give him thanks for the provisions that he has made both physically and spiritually. So there can be a variety of ways that we pray within those big picture themes, but those are the things that we should be thinking about as we're praying together as a family. So that's the how of praying. Now the how of singing. Here I just have one. Have a song ready to sing. (laughs) I know that maybe for many of you, singing is intimidating. Um, Maybe you're not all musical, and that's okay. I think it's okay for you to have your wife lead it if she needs to, or to have one of the kids lead it if they're good with songs. It's even okay for you to play a song on your phone and just sing along with it. It doesn't need to be awkward. God is more concerned with the heart behind our praise than he is concerned about the sound coming out of our mouths. If you need ideas or a list of songs, let me know. Just so you know, I've created a GBC playlist in both Spotify and iTunes that's titled GBC Music with our church logo that has all of the songs that we sing as a church. 
And I do this so that you guys have songs of truth accessible to you so you can be listening to them throughout the week as a family, in your car, at work, while you exercise, whatever it may be. It's good for us to be listening to good music as a family. Groups like Sovereign Grace Music, The Gettys, City of Light, Shane and Shane, as well as their worship initiative, Seeds Family Worship, Corner Room Music. These are all great resources that have songs for families that will serve your family well. You guys should have good music playing in your homes often. I would say all the time. Just let music be playing all the time. It's a good way to plant truth in your hearts. And you should be singing together regularly. So that's the only one I have for sing. Have a song ready to sing when you worship together as a family. So kind of just a few thoughts. Big picture, more lumping all of these things together. I would say aim for brevity. In your family worship, aim for brevity. It's not about the length of time, but what you do in that time. The younger your kids are, the shorter your time will be and should be. But it's better for you to have 10 minutes of simple, clear, helpful times of worship than to have 45 minutes of chaos. We learned this. When our kids were younger, we had our time right before bed. I think I've shared this with you already in the past weeks. We would usually gather in our living room and we would read and pray. As they've gotten older, we've changed our time to be in the morning at the breakfast table because this is the time that we are most often consistently together as a family. Right now, we're reading through a devotional book by Alistair Begg. I didn't bring it, um, but it's, it's been really good. I would say it's geared more towards older kids. Um, I actually do have a few ideas here. I might just show them to you now. This is a Bible story book. We've been through that one as a family. These are all from the Resource Center. They're actually really helpful. I think this is a part two, kind of, of that same one by Marty Machowski. We've been through this one by Marty Machowski. Uh, It's through the Proverbs. It was really good. Really good for young kids. But the Proverbs are super helpful. We did that book when they were littler, and then we spent lots of time, too, just reading through the Proverbs as a family for our worship time. But then even things like missionary biographies are really good for your kids to be read them to your kids like let this be your bedtime story for your kids and that can be part of your family worship too but those are just some ideas we're going through a book by Alistair Begg and it's been really good too um during this time I usually read and pray but there'll be times that I ask Julie to pray just because I think it's good for our kids to hear mom pray for them Moms definitely pray different than dads do, and it's good for our kids to hear their hearts. We probably spend 10 to 15 minutes reading and praying in the morning at the breakfast table. Music is a big part of our life. We sing together a lot throughout the week, so singing isn't always a part of our everyday family worship. But like last night, we were all in the living room, just sitting together as a family, which I can't remember the last time. 
we did that. Our kid, our older kids are usually out and about till late. Um, so it was really nice to just be sitting there together and Hunter had brought his guitar up and he was playing guitar. So before we went to bed, we just sang a couple songs together. Hunter let, Hunter led us in singing songs together. So that was kind of special to be able to do that. We prayed together. Um, so yeah, singing isn't always a part of our morning routine of worship, but it should be a regular part of your day sometime during the day. But the point here is aim for brevity. The whole family, including yourself, will enjoy that time more if it's brief. I would say have a specific place that you gather. Again, we've talked about this in the past with discipline, but this can be helpful for your kids. I told you our place is the breakfast table. Um, We used to meet in the living room. Maybe for you it's your bedroom or one of the kids' bedrooms. That's okay. Um, but have a specific place that you gather for worship that your kids know this is this is what we do and this is where we do it. And then be consistent. Be consistent. Don't look for excuses to avoid family worship. Pick a time that works best for your family and do it. Be consistent with it. And just so you know, if you haven't already figured it out, there will be days that you miss things come up that we don't plan on. Kids get sick. You have to work late. Maybe a friend needs your help. But don't let missing family worship time discourage you and keep you from doing it again. Be as consistent as you can be. Find the time that works well for your family and make it a priority daily. Now I'd like to talk through, just here at the end, some common excuses I have four common excuses for not doing family worship and then also give you four motivations of why you should do family worship. So excuse number one, our family doesn't have time for this. I would argue that if you have time to run your kids around to 20 different sporting events, practices, music lessons, and performances, if you have time to play video games, have a night out with your buddies or your girlfriends, watch the football game when you get home from work, but don't have time for family worship. If your excuse is that you don't have time, then you need to reevaluate your priorities as a family. Time taken from family activity and busyness to seek God together is never time that will be wasted. Excuse number two, there is no regular time when all of us can be together. If there are conflicts in the schedules of your family members, do the best that you can. I think at younger ages, it's definitely easier to all be together because they're not as independent and able to be out and about without you. Do it at a time when most everyone can be there. Don't cancel family worship just because one of your children isn't home. We're experiencing this in our home now. A few days a week, Hunter has weights early in the morning, so he's not with us at breakfast time. But that's still the best time for most of us to be together. So that's when we do it. And when he's home in the morning, he's part of it. I would say even if conflicts in scheduling arise, 
then choose to change or cancel the activity that threatens your time of worship. Like worship as a family is more important. Family worship should be non-negotiable. Busyness, hobbies, sports, school activities, these are all secondary to family worship. Excuse number three, our family is too small. Some of you here is just husband and wife, and I would say it's not too small. Even if it's just the two of you, this should be a regular practice that you set in place now. (coughs) Start now. No family is too small to worship together. Excuse number four, I'm not good at leading my family in worship. I think this is a common one for us men. Oftentimes we feel like our wives are more godly than we are. Right? We shouldn't be okay with this. But it often does intimidate us. But who has God set in authority over the family? Who has God called to lead the home? The husband. The father. So that if this is hard for you, then you're going to have to Nike up and just do it. (laughs) Just do it. You'll grow in time. With practice and with consistency, we get better. We gain confidence. The truth is you may feel ill-equipped because of your own laziness and growing in godliness. If you aren't personally spending time with the Lord, if you aren't being fed by His Word personally, then you'll have nothing to offer your family. So men, don't let this be your excuse. All right, those are the excuses. Here's some motivations why you should. Motivation number one, the eternal welfare of those you love. The eternal welfare of those you love. We know that God uses the truth of his word by the power of his spirit to save souls. He can accomplish this in many different ways. Sometimes it's through preaching, sometimes evangelism, sometimes through teaching in a classroom setting. But he may also use this time of worship as a family to save the souls of our children. And at the very least, it plants seeds of the gospel in their hearts that we hope will bear fruit as the Lord wills. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Even though this verse is not a promise or a guarantee that our children will for sure be saved, It is generally true in the Christian home that if the parents are faithfully walking in obedience to the Lord and teaching their children in every moment of every day what it means to fear the Lord, to love Him, and to obey Him, that those children often end up walking with the Lord as well. We don't know what means God will use to save our children, but we are called to labor in hope making diligent use of the means of family worship that our children might not forget the works of God in their life. Motivation number two, 
the satisfaction of a good conscience, the satisfaction of a good conscience, wouldn't it be much better to be faithful and leading our family in worship, even if one of our children leaves home unsaved, and to not make family worship a priority today and to look back one day wishing we had? May our children look back on their time under our care and instruction and see that we were faithful and we were consistent in our time of worship together as a family. Motivation number three, the shortness of time. The shortness of time. James 4.14 says, What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. We have our children in the home for around 18 years. That used to sound like a long time. And now we have an 18-year-old. 18 years is a breath. It's not very long at all. We should lead our family in worship with an awareness of how brief this time is in the light of eternity. Our children will naturally sense this urgency if our time of family worship is done with love, with warmth, earnestness, and consistency. Motivation number four, a love for God and his church. A love for God and his church. Godly parents want to glorify God and they want to serve the church. I hope that that can be said of each of you. One way that we do this is by making every effort to raise our children that will one day glorify God and serve the church themselves. I can think of no greater joy as a father of four children than to one day see each of them walking with the Lord and actively involved in the local church serving the body of Christ. Family worship is the foundation of such a future for our children. So we've talked about a lot, a lot of thoughts. You guys have any questions about any of this? Yes, ma'am. Not a question. Can you list those channels um, that you like for the worship? Like the ones that I've made or just the groups? The groups that you like. Sovereign Grace Music, City of Light, it's all one word. The Gettys. Am I going too fast? Shane and Shane. Seeds Family Worship. And Corner Room Music. All but the last one, I think, have actual kid songs, kid kid albums. Corner Room Music just takes straight psalms and puts them to melodies. And I love that. Like you're just getting the word of God in song. I think it's really sweet. And they're very singable as well. So it's just good music to have on in the house. Kids are learning um, the word of God in song. And I, songs just have a unique way of planting that truth in our hearts in a different way than if we just hear it spoken to us. Other thoughts, questions? Lucy?
um, what are your thoughts on that, and how often do you advise using devotional books rather than just reading through a book of the Bible? Yeah. Um, so right now we're doing a devotional book too, and he usually has a verse or two at the beginning that we read together, but then it's just thoughts, truth from that. I would pro- If you're doing a devotional book, I probably wouldn't commit to that for a full year. I think it's good for us to be getting the Word of God. So I'd maybe do it for three or four months and then switch to reading the Bible together. But I think even, even good devotional books point us to the truth, you know? So I, depending on the age of your kids, sometimes that's helpful because it just makes it more applicable to them, um, giving it to them in a way that they can understand, you know, but... I don't know that we've ever read a devotional book for a full year. I would probably try to include scripture for a season at least. Is that helpful? Yeah. Yeah. How have you, I mean, you have a wide range of ages. How do you, Brooklyn's eight and Dakota's four, so the level of understanding is just so different. So how do you, Simplify it, but not, but not hold your older children's, I guess, understanding back. I don't, I don't yeah, know. I would maybe just direct a question at each one of them. Just try to help them think through it. I mean, oftentimes they're not going to be able to answer it. Yeah. But I think if we can ask a good question and then help them work through the answer in a way that they understand it in their little mind is helpful. Um. I think even, like, Julie's always been really intentional to read with our younger girls at night before bed. I think that's a helpful way for the younger ones to get something that they wouldn't necessarily get from our time in family worship, you know. Um, I think as Hunter's gotten older, and even Ashlyn with Julie, we try to be more intentional just one-on-one to talk about spiritual things with them, you know. Those are just some ways that we've maybe made it different. <coughs> yeah, if there's a wide age age range, you want to probe each of their hearts, you know. So maybe just asking questions in a different way is helpful. Yeah. So if the kids are having like a rough night, or like you mentioned, the importance of requiring their attention during family worship. And if they're not giving you their attention, does that move into discipline? And then if you're disciplining them, do you force them to participate in family worship after the discipline? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I would, I would say if they're not being obedient, yeah, then discipline needs to be enforced. But you just need to use common sense and wisdom as a parent like if you're not getting anywhere it's not helping your kid to make them sit on the couch and do family worship you know but maybe that means you need to find a different time of the day that they're able to be more attentive so whether that's breakfast whether that's the dinner table you know in the evening when you're all sitting together before bedtime I just maybe experiment with different times of the day and if this is something that's new for them it's going to take some time for them to get used to this is a new routine for our family. So you need to be gracious but consistent and have expectations. And part of it is just going to be working <laughs> through that. It might take discipline for a week for them to figure out, wow, dad and mom are serious about this. I guess I better shape up, you know, but they'll figure it out. 
they want to run the house. So if you let them, they will, you know? So you need to be consistent as a parent uh, with your expectations and following through with discipline. That's a good question, though. <laughs> is that something that you've seen before? So, yeah, in different, different times of my life, we've been in homes or whatever. I think even here in church a time or two I've heard it. But just like sometimes parents will pray like they're talking to a little kid, okay. like in a little kid voice, something like that. But like I've, I've experienced it before where somebody teaches and they're teaching in this really uh, voice and then they pray and they're just like it's really solemn and quiet and I'm like why would you teach one way and pray another way like let's just make this consistent I don't know I think it's just helpful for our kids to understand like we don't have to teach differently than we talk we don't have to pray differently than we talk this is communication with God we just need to be ourselves. talk like we would talk like I said, it's probably a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> if you want to pray in a different voice, then just, just do it in your own home. So I can <laughs> Would it be appropriate for like me to do, like, take over the family worship when he works on nights? Yeah, I think that's fine. Yeah. I, I know that Beck and I do that. Mm-hmm. Like when I have more play, she mm-hmm. takes over. So. Yeah. But Dad should do it when he's home. I always, I always do it when I'm home. So yeah. But yeah, the consistency is good for our kids. So yeah, Mom can do it. Anyone else? Have you guys ever done like catechisms or anything like that? We did that for a season. It didn't last very long for us, but yeah, that's a good idea. That New City Catechism book is really good, really helpful for kids. What's that? Yeah, they do. Yeah. I think there's an app that goes with the book that provides you with a lot of those resources. Have you ever tried, if you're away for the night, calling in or FaceTiming for for that time with family? Or has anybody found that to be effective, or is that more distracting at times? I don't know that I've ever done that. Have I ever done that? I can't speak from experience. Or my husband. My husband, um, he'll like call to pray with the kids at bed, but not like a whole thing. That would just, they would never pay attention for a week. Have you tried it? No, I haven't tried no. it, but I'm thinking about it. <laughs> You let us know how it works. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> it may be a while before we go again. Anyone else? This is just a pro tip. Not that I'm pro. I'm in this platform. But, like, if you can do your family devotional while your kids' mouths are full of food, <laughs> they sit still better. <laughs> <laughs> like dinner. But anyway, it works for us. There you go.
Find what works. Be consistent. All right, well, let me pray for us and I'll let you go. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your care for our hearts through the relationships that we have in this life, the way that we can encourage one another with the word and hold each other accountable to its truth and how it applies to our life. And we pray that this week as we go from here, we would be found faithful to lead our family in the home in a way that would bring you glory. Pray that we'd be intentional in our time of worship together. If this is something that's new for us and we need to start, pray that you would help us to be convicted about that, that we would figure out what works best for our family, the time of day, and what we can do together in the reading, the praying, and the singing uh, that would serve our family well. And if we just needed to be reminded and we've been lazy and complacent, pray that you would help us to be consistent this week and that we'd be able to encourage one another in that. We're thankful for uh, your help for the Spirit who empowers us and enables us to live this life for your glory. We're so thankful for the help that you provide, and we pray that you would be with us as we go from here, that you would bless our week and our efforts. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, guys. <laughs>